I'm excited about this week because uh, one of my really good friends, one of my college friends who is a pastor at Walnut Hill in Connecticut, and he's preached online with us a couple times. Um, right after Ellie passed, he, he preached. Um, and then he preached on cruise. So one of the things that we do is cruise. And a lot of that formation comes from Brian and his influence and conversations that we've had. And so we said, hey, Brian, could, would you come and speak to Fireside? And he said, I would love to. Um, when does the private jet pick me up? And... <laughs> But he is here, and I just give a warm round of applause for Brian Prue. Um, thank you, Brian, for being here. And the mic is yours, man. When I agreed to come and I got the multi-page style guide for Fireside, I did not realize that Andy was serious. Uh, I, drew, I drew the line, though, at shaving my head. So I could do the plaid, I could do the jeans, the brown shoes, I could do all those things, but shaving my head was out. So, but I'm glad to be here. And I'm going to start with a story. So she's walking along. It had been a while since she'd been in church, and she knew it, and it was a special feeling every time she saw someone from church because that guilt would just kind of rise up. And it was kind of like one of those moments, like, what are they going to say to me now? Are they going to pretend like they don't know? Are they going to, like, bring it up really awkwardly? Am I going to feel judged? What's going to happen? And so as she's walking through town, and she's thinking about what is it that's actually preventing me from going back? What's the thing that actually is kind of welling up in my soul and causing me to hesitate to actually rejoin this community? And as she's thinking about it, she feels deep, deep in her heart that the community in some ways has changed. And she's trying to figure out why. Because when Paul came, it was like a supernatural experience. He came and he told the story about how he had heard from the Lord and he was trying to go into Asia and the Lord said, no. You're going to go this way. And he ends up in Galatia, and he starts to preach, and people start to surrender their lives to Jesus because they're discovering for the first time that the Messiah has come and that there is hope and there is grace. And it's no longer just about the law. It's about the one who came to fulfill the law. And then Paul leaves, and other teachers start coming in. And the church starts to seemingly go backwards because people start talking about how, well, you know, yeah, there's freedom in Jesus, but if we really want to follow Jesus, we really actually need to bring back some of the Jewish law pieces. Like, we need that as a foundation. So if you're going to surrender your life to God, you really almost have to become Jewish first. So then you can experience what it means to discover the Messiah. And with the re-entry of the law, there's a loss of the freedom that comes in meeting Jesus. There's a loss of a sense of a gracious, supernatural experience because now there's some steps I have to do before I can even really encounter God. And that's not what she signed up for. That's not what she came into. And so for her, there's a sense of loss. And she's trying to put a word to it. And if she had to put a word to it, it'd be freedom. There's a loss of freedom that she used to count on and experience when she was among the people of God. So for me, this is a made-up story, by the way. This is non-scripture. I make up a story to kind of understand what is happening when I'm reading a passage. Uh, so for me, there's a sense because... We're in Galatians. It's a book in the Bible. It's in the New Testament. Uh, we're in chapter 5. We're going to be going through verses 16 through, I think, 22-ish. 
Uh, so if you have a Bible and you want to grab it, you're free to do that. You can pull it up on a phone. Uh, you can text Andy and give some running commentary on how I'm doing. Whatever you want to do. But uh, I think for me to understand that the church in Galatia is kind of really struggling because when Paul leaves, other teachers start coming in and they start telling the people, well, we know Paul said this, that, you know, like, all you got to do is come and meet Jesus and experience his grace and forgiveness, and then you are a new creation. We know he said that, but what he really probably meant to say eventually was to tell you that you actually really almost kind of have to become Jewish before you can meet Jesus. You have to get circumcised if you're male. You have to do some things so that you can then experience the fullness. And I think what happens is you see a church that has been not freed from the law, but freed from the consequences of the Old Testament law. Like, no longer does the church need to make sacrifices to make ourselves right with God. Because Jesus has come and he's done it for us. By his blood, our sins are forgiven. And we are made new in him. And so, no longer are we needing to fulfill a law to be right before God. Because Jesus has done it for us. And yet, every time we go back to it and try to re- reimagine and re-kind of integrate the law back into what we need to do, it really becomes then an opportunity for us to work our way into God's favor. To do the things that God must be pleased with so that he'll actually like us maybe even a little bit better than the person next to us. Because look, I'm doing all the right stuff, God. Come on now. Like, I'm doing better than this person. Doesn't that feel good? I would say today, many of us struggle with this exact same thing. Now, I don't think anyone here is pushing, you know, circumcision or any of those things for, to really encounter God. But at the end of it, we're continually looking for ways to measure how we're doing with God. I don't swear nearly as much as this person next to me. I keep the Sabbath not just 24 hours. I do 48. I am killing my Sabbath. You know, I, I don't give 10%. I give 10.5. I mean, I'm tithing above and beyond. Like, we are looking for measures for how we're really doing in our relationship with God that we can influence and we can make happen, right? I'm in control of my finances. I would like to say I'm in control of my mouth. There are things that God has called us into, though, that we cannot actually do all by ourselves. Because if following Jesus was really a moral, ethical proposition where I can just live out a good moral life and be in Christ, then we didn't need Christ to come and die for our sins. We didn't need him to send his Holy Spirit to fill us up so that we could live in partnership with him all of our days, now and into eternity. We wouldn't need those things if following Jesus was just a moral proposition. You just need to clean your life up, swear less, tithe more, do the right things, don't do the wrong things, and heaven is yours. We actually need a supernatural God to come and inhabit our lives so that we can actually become more like Jesus. Because that's our call. When we meet Jesus, the whole goal 
is that now because Christ is transforming my heart and life and his Holy Spirit lives inside of me, when I walk out in this world, whether it's at Dunkin' Donuts, whether it's at my work, people will encounter the living God because he is living within me. They will not just encounter a good moral person, a person who's doing some of the right things most of the time. They'll encounter the power of the living God that I will supernaturally be revealing him through my life because I am dependent on him to be revealed in my life. We have the most wonderful gift ever. We actually have two. The first one is the forgiveness and the redemption that Jesus has offered us. The second one is that God literally gives himself to us that he might live in us and reveal himself through us. And yet every day, we have an option of what that looks like. For most of us, I'm going to say this. We want to live well. We want to represent God well. But too often, we are depending on our own strength to do it. So I'm going to read a passage for you. As I said, it's out of Galatians. It's towards the end of the book. And like I said, you can text Andy anytime. Tell him me, tell me what you think. Uh, you can compliment my shirt. You can do all those things. Uh, so this is Galatians 5, 16 through 26. So I say, and this is out of the New Living Translation. I know you don't all use it, but spare me. Uh, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sin, sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other so that you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit, you are not under the obligation of the law of Moses. And that's kind of what I was alluding to earlier when we were talking about the law. The law is the law of Moses. These are the rules that the Israelites are supposed to live under so that they might find favor in the eyes of God. That they might know what his heart is because they're living in right standing with him. And they failed every time. And we would too. And that's why Jesus comes. And so... The part that I want to really highlight is this idea of when you are directed by the Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is within us, then he wants to inspire, participate, and move through every part of our lives and every part of our day. That there could be this expectation that the Holy Spirit might have things for us to do that are going to glorify God and honor him in any situation that we find ourselves, whether it's by yourself alone in worship or prayer, whether it's at your work, whether it's parenting. Uh, The Lord wants to move in our hearts and lives. And this is what I'd say, and it's not just to keep us from sinning. Because I think, I mean, honestly, growing up most of my life, I thought all I really needed to do to follow God was just not sin. If I could sin less, things would be good. And what I found was I would do it in my own strength. And when I was sinning less, which was like 0.1 seconds of every day, uh, there was still something missing. Because it was doing it in my own power. There was still a missing piece of what it meant to actually be in partnership with the living God who loves me.
And then the more that I learned about the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life each and every day, the more I started to understand, like, I have been designed and redeemed for a relationship, not just a proposition. Hey, if you sin less, you know, and surrender your life to me, then, well, then, you know, we'll be together forever. That doesn't actually sound that appealing if you don't like the person you're going to be together forever with. I had to learn what it means to actually have a relationship with the living God where I felt, one, no longer judged because Christ has taken my punishment, but two, that I am loved so much that the Lord wants to do and give good things to me. I had to learn what it means, because if you are following and you know the Bible a little bit, you'll know after this passage comes uh, this idea of the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And these are the fruit that are demonstrated when the Holy Spirit lives in us. And for a long time, I believed these are the things I need to learn how to produce in my own life. I used to be patient, and then I had kids. I used to be really, really good with uh, conflict, and then I got married. You know, like, I constantly thought I was good at doing certain things, and then the Lord's like, well, let's just introduce this variable and see how you do. Oh, that's right, you need me. And what I discovered was that the Lord actually wants to supernaturally bear his fruit in us. It's not just my job to produce it. So these are the fruit. And it says, uh, those who belong in Christ have nailed their passions. Oh, I'm sorry. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. For the longest time, I believed I had to produce every single one of those. And I could, at certain times, produce something that looked like them. But then I actually started praying and asking, Lord, what does it look like for you to produce faithfulness in me? If this is a fruit of your spirit who lives in me, what does it actually look like for you to bear your fruit in me? What does it look like for you to give me kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control, joy, peace? It really started to change what I expected from the Lord every day. Because if I'm honest, before that, what I expected was judgment. Oh, I sinned again yesterday. Oh, I got this wrong again. And positionally, I believe that God was just kind of, you know, keeping a tally. Even though Jesus forgave it all, at the end, he simply said, look at all the stuff I did have to forgive, even after. And what I discovered was a God who wanted to partner with me and reveal the goodness of his nature in ways that I never expected. Uh, part of my story is uh, my wife had uh, cancer. And uh, it was the kind of cancer we didn't know how bad it was going to be. And surgery took care of it all. She's good today. But it was one of those moments for about six weeks we didn't know what was going to happen in our lives. We knew it wasn't early. We prayed it wasn't late. And uh, that was a sobering moment. I have four daughters. They're phenomenal. But at the time, they were one, three, five, and seven. And I was thinking, daughters need a mom. So, Lord, you can't take my wife. Like, I was in a rough place. 
And what I realized is that I needed the peace of God and I couldn't produce it for myself. So I started asking him to give me his peace because I needed it desperately. And I actually had to start praying that he'd give me his joy because I couldn't manufacture it. I was not joyful. I was not really a pleasant person to be around for a few days, a few weeks. Uh, but I started asking that the Lord would do something in me that I could not do for myself. And he is faithful and he does it. Was it like overnight, like all of a sudden I'm, I'm like the super saintliest person? No. But he started to move in my heart and attend to the things that I needed from him because he is good and he's gracious and he's merciful. And I had to change what I expected from him. I had to stop expecting that he was looking for all my mistakes. And I had to start expecting that he was looking at me like a son whom he loves, whom he wants the best things for. And when I started to understand that, I started to see the spirit moving in my life, producing fruit that I could not produce on my own in that season. What do you expect the living God to do in your life? What does it look like for the spirit to dwell with you in such a way that you see God being revealed, not just in and through your heart, but among others? What does it look like to look for the living God each and every day? God, I am so mad at this person at work. I need your peace and your forgiveness so that I can extend mercy to them. Holy Spirit, what do you want to do as I walk into this space this morning? What would reflect your heart in this season or in this moment? So I think about it like this, to be free in the spirit, to walk in the spirit, I have to change my expectation. I expect fully that the living God wants to use me each and every day to reveal his kingdom, power, his forgiveness, his love, and his mercy everywhere I step. Do I live that out? Imperfectly. Do I want to do it all the time? Absolutely. I want to change my expectations of what the Lord might want to do. Because when I change my expectations, I enter into places differently. And I start to look for him to be revealed differently. I expect that when I open my Bible, the Lord actually has something for me or for someone else. So I try to say, Lord, what are you speaking? And who is it for? And if I... I get, a, if I'm reading a passage and I'm like, oh, this reminds me of this person, I'll send it to them. I don't know if it's for them. That's actually not my job. My job is to say, Holy Spirit, are you calling me to send this to someone else? Okay, I will do that. And then he's going to do the work if it's from him. If it's not from him, here's the great thing. Sending scripture to someone is never a bad deal. It's God's word. But there's something about our expectations. So I, I want you to just take 15 seconds and ask this question. What do you really expect the Spirit to do in your heart and life? What do you want the Spirit to do in your heart and life?
What do you need the Spirit to do in your heart and life? fully expect as you bring forth the, the cries of your heart, the desires that you have for where you want God to move in your life, he hears you and he wants to move in those places. So what does it look like for you to partner with him today? For some of us who are talkers, we actually just need to be quiet. For some of us that are hesitant, and concerned that people are gonna think we're a little weird. We need to act. For some of us that have been trying to produce the fruit of God in our lives completely in our own strength, we need to learn what it means to trust and partner with God in a different way. Because Jesus wants to do something amazing through you so that the world might know him. That's the whole proposition. It's not actually just so we get to go to heaven. So that the world might experience the love and the forgiveness of the living God through his people. So that we all might have a chance to go to heaven. That we all might discover this wonderful relationship that God's called us into. That we all might experience the, the goodness and the mercy and the forgiveness and the power of his Holy Spirit each and every day. What would it look like if Fireside was a church that supernaturally displayed the fruit of the Spirit every place they stepped in Newburyport, in Salisbury, in Amesbury, across the border in New Hampshire? What does the Lord want to do in your heart and life this day that maybe you've been resisting, maybe you've stopped believing? The Lord wants to do good things for you. So one of the things that uh, has been important for me is I've had to take a posture of listening. Uh, when you go to college to learn scripture, when you go to seminary to learn how to be a pastor, uh, praying, reading your Bible, knowing about the things of God be can become a very academic pursuit. And in some ways, it actually can create a, an opportunity for you to think you don't need to depend on the wisdom and the truth of the living God each and every day, day or each and every time you open up scripture. So I would encourage you, what does it look like to read God's word with fresh eyes, to pray with an open heart, and to believe that God's going to do something new in your heart and life? So... We're going to sing a couple worship songs, but I want to invite you into just a space where maybe you listen and say, Lord, what do you have for me this morning that's unique? Because I believe the Lord wants to encourage you. He wants to spur you on in life in him. Yeah, you can come up. I'm not going to sing with them. Thank the Lord. Uh, but what would it look like for you to really invite the Holy Spirit to come and to speak to your heart, to call out the things that he wants to be doing, the things that you've been begging him for, and the things that he's going to partner in life with you th through in this season? Uh, because as we see more of the Holy Spirit displayed in our lives, 
we see lives transformed. We expect the work of the Lord every place we step. And we believe and trust that it's not about our own effort, but it's the Lord working and partnering with us as we seek to live out a life that reflects him every place we step. So I'm going to pray and then we'll sing. Lord God. I thank you that you did not leave this up to us. You didn't send your son to die and take the fullness of our sins, to rise again and to to show that you have conquered death and just to leave us on our own. Lord, but you have given us your spirit. So Lord, I pray we might experience the freedom of what it means to know that the spirit wants to move and speak and interact with us in every part of our lives. That there is actually nothing you don't want to partner with us in. Lord, whether it's our parenting, whether it's our work, our worship. So Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts and open our minds, open our spirits to be filled by more of you so that as we walk out, this world might see you, Jesus, might experience your heart because we have made ourselves available and expectant to you. In Jesus' name.